0: They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today.
1: You're listening to the Fish Untamed podcast, your home for fly fishing in the backcountry. This is episode 83 with Charles Harper Webb on his new book, Ursula Lake. I always just start by getting a background on my guests, so I'd love to hear how you got your start in fishing.
2: Okay, well, my, I grew up in Houston, Texas, and, and I got my start as a little, little boy with a little bait casting rod and reel. Uh, in those days, you could just walk out on the beach in Galveston and throw out into the waves and catch some pretty cool little fish. Um, the, the, the varieties kind of went down when they started really drilling and things got kind of oily, but I caught all kinds of kind of almost tropical fish down there. But I just, I don't know. That was something that the first time I got a fish on the line, I knew I loved this. I just, you know, I couldn't wait to go fishing every time from then. So the first fish I ever caught was, I imagine a croaker, which is what, what they called these little fish that made a croaking sound when you took them out of the water. And I insisted my mom cook them for me. I mean, I just (laughs) wanted to have the whole experience.
1: Now, did you like pick this up on your own or did a family member, um, you know, is it like a dad that took you out or did you just always have this desire to go by yourself?
2: My my dad um, was not a particularly avid fisherman, but he he provided me the chance to fish as kind of a uh, Something that a dad did. And I remember, you know, I would, I would, he would let me sit on his shoulders and we would walk out into the waves and I would throw and, and he would, uh, he would stand there. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so he was a good dad.
1: An enabler, maybe more, yeah, more yeah. so than a, yeah.
2: Yeah. And he would fish with me some, but I, I was the one that had the bug. I mean, the two things that, that did, well, I guess there's three things that did that for me when I was a little kid. Baseball did it immediately, fishing did it immediately, and turtles did it immediately. <laughs> but I, these are just things I intuitively loved, and I never stopped loving it.
1: Th- that's funny that you mentioned uh, those things because apart from turtles, it sounds like we had the exact same childhood. I was uh, like a baseball, softball player and a uh. fisherman, but my dad also wasn't big into it. He would go on like one trip a year, and the rest of the time he would just boat me around, uh, and mm-hmm. just take-, take me out on the river. But he didn't really care to fish himself, so it sounds uh. very similar to your situation.
2: Yeah, yeah, something menace. I don't, I don't know what, but something something it spoke to something really deep in in our hearts. I think.
1: Now, did you go uh, inland in Texas at all? I've heard um, pretty good things about the fly fishing in um, inland Texas, particularly around Austin. Did you ever get into that?
2: Nobody I knew even fly fished. I mean, that was not something that I even saw until I moved to the Pacific Northwest. So we, we didn't have a boat, and so it was not as easy to fish inland. It I could fish easier at Galveston and, okay. and uh and Freeport, where you could walk out on jetties and wade into the surf and stuff like that. Uh so yeah, I did a little fishing. We used to fish in the bayous for like catfish and carp. Uh put some put a little piece of biscuit on a hook and 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 catch those. I mean, if I could, if, if it swam, I wanted to catch it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so, what took you to the Pacific Northwest then? Was it the fishing or work or something else?
2: Well, I I was a rock and roll musician and uh I that's how I made my living for quite a while. And uh, a band broke up in Houston and and I decided to go to graduate school at the University of Washington and there were two reasons. One was because it had a very good English program, and two because I wanted to fish for steelhead, and I just thought that would be great. And so, I went. I went there, and and I met the guy that ended up being my fishing buddy. I met him in a class uh, in poetry writing, and we just hit it off right away. And he and he taught me a little bit about fly fishing. He was self-taught, so I got all kinds of holes in my technique, uh, but. But yeah, uh, that was how I started fly fishing.
1: And I assume that it was um, like most people where you're going to college, but you're also, you know, sneaking away every so often to go fishing and maybe k- cut class. <laughs> uh, w-
2: yeah. Well, what happened there? I, I am almost immediately got back into rock and roll bands and I was going to grad school, playing in rock and roll bands. And, and my first year in Seattle was really a tough year for me because I, this kid from Houston and all of a sudden it's cold and the sun doesn't come out. But well, what saved my life was discovering that steelhead came in in winter. And once I realized that, all of a sudden winter lost its its terror. And I just thought, okay, cool. The steel, I just wait till it rains. The steelhead will come up and I'll be out on the river.
1: What was it like making that transition from, um, you know, like subtropical, almost, uh, saltwater fishing off the coast of Texas versus, uh, the cold, wet Pacific Northwest, uh, for steelhead? Like, did you, did you have a steep learning curve there or did you kind of just adjust right, right
2: into it? Yeah. Well, I, I had done, I had caught some, some fairly big fish in Houston or outside, you know, on the Gulf coast, not huge though, but, um, uh, I just went out there like a fool. I was still using conventional gear with steelhead. I hadn't got to the point where I could fly fish for them. But uh, the first time I, I I went several times and didn't catch any. You, you often go out for steelhead and don't get any. Uh, the first time I got a steelhead, that is in my memory, and it will be there till the day I die. Uh, I felt like a freight train had picked up my Okie Drifter, and it scared the crap out of me. It just <laughs> went boom, because it was a big, strong fish going down a strong, big river. I had never felt anything like that in my life. And, and so I, I stumbled and flailed and walked down the river and tried to get it in. And I didn't have a landing net because I didn't even think I would catch anything. <laughs> so when the fish finally started to come in, I pulled it in and I backed up and pulled it in and backed up. And it, I swear, when I got it on the, the beach, I literally fell on it. I said, I'm not letting this go. I'm eating it, and this is my first steelhead. So I fell on the fish and and basically wrestled it ashore. Uh, So, no, I was not prepared. (laughs) I thought I was prepared, but I wasn't.
1: Yeah, and how long did you spend uh, up there? Then I assume you finished your program. I, I want to get into kind of your career trajectory because I feel like it's one of the most uh, interesting and varied backgrounds I've seen in somebody. So hmm. you know, it sounds like you're getting an English degree, and I know at some point you become a psychologist or a psych- psychotherapist. Yeah, yeah,
2: I've done a lot of stuff, <laughs> uh, and uh, you know, yeah, no, that's that's true. Okay, so where where should I start with that? Yeah, because I have had a very a extremely varied degree. And on top of it all, I was being a writer. I mean, I guess on top of everything, that's why I was studying English. That's why I went to University of Washington. Um, So over everything I was writing, I was writing some fiction, and I was writing a lot of poetry and publishing a lot of that. Um, And in the course of all these things, you know, I was doing things to make a living that would support my writing habit, really. Uh, and uh, yeah, so I mean I loved rock and roll. I was just always into that. and and so I was the, I was the lead singer and guitar player. So I could form a band around me, which was cool. I didn't have to, you know, have a band formed in. I, I could just, you know, because I could do the lead and I could do the, the lead guitar. Um, so I could always make a living basically, playing, uh, playing professionally. Um, and then when I moved to, to LA, um, at the time I moved to L.A., bands were actually paying to play in L.A., hoping to get discovered. And I couldn't afford to do that. And I could have gone out on the road, but I would have been right back where I was. They would send me up to the Pacific Northwest and, and to Nevada and so forth. So so that's when I ended up. I was taking writing classes there, but I ended up getting into psychology because um Frankly, I, I took one class thinking it would help me if I wanted to write a novel. It would help me understand character, and uh, the teacher thought that I was good at talking to people, and I seemed to I seemed to maybe have a have a, a you know a talent at doing that. And and I thought it was interesting. I was very interested in it, and I thought, okay, maybe I can make my living that way. So I ended up getting a PhD and getting licensed. And I was actually a, a real Beverly Hills shrink for a while. <laughs> that's, <laughs> I know. that's
1: such an interesting uh, like roundabout way to get there. And so I assume you're writing this whole time. Um, yeah. And did you find yeah. that your psychology background really did help your, your novel writing? It,
2: I do indeed. I did. <laughs> I always did. Yeah. Because uh, the thing... Yeah, it helped in every way. I I particularly started because I thought, okay, as a poet, I'm mostly talking about myself. Um, And I would like to learn about other people, too. And as I went into the the field and started practicing and everything, I found that I learned more about myself, and I also learned about other people. And so it was was win-win on that. Uh, And I kept doing that. Until I got hired on a tenure track job at Cal State Long Beach, and around the same time, uh, my wife and I had our son. She had it; I just helped, <laughs> and and, uh, and and I didn't have time to do everything, so I let the the psychotherapy thing just fade away, uh, and and I became a full time uh, writer and, and professor, fishing the whole time.
1: Of course, of course, yes. <laughs> Not to um, kind of categorize you in just a single box, but do you particularly feel like one more than the other? Like, do you call yourself a writer who's interested in psychology, or vice versa? Because it sounds like you've had an interest in writing since you were um, much younger, Uh, and it was almost like the first—the first part of the psychology was to support your writing. But obviously, you you followed that path really far. So, are you are you a writer who uh, does psychology, or vice versa, or do you really consider it um, them both equally big parts of your life?
2: Well, they're both. They're both. I think. Equally interesting, but I've I've always seen myself first and foremost as a writer. Okay, I mean, even when I was an undergrad at Rice University, I was trying to be a writer. That's what I wanted to be.
1: Your past works were many of them um, revolving around fishing. I know we're going to get into Ursula Lake, your new book, which you know does heavily feature fishing. But is that kind of a first for you, or have you always tried to sprinkle that in? Oh, uh,
2: I I I wrote I wrote primarily poetry and and for for any of your listeners who aren't real familiar with contemporary poetry it may not be what you would imagine because my stuff was very accessible often used a lot of humor I mean still do I still write it it's not like uh kind of you know hyper aesthetic rhymed stuff or anything like that uh and uh, yeah I I wrote some things that had to do with fishing because it was important to me but Um, but yeah, Ursula Lake, I just, I just thought, well, I mean, it's such a cool story going up into the North woods and there are so many possibilities for it. And it's such an amazingly atmospheric place that I thought, oh, I can write something about it completely and really make fly fishing central to it. And, and the, the key, I guess, is to, to not have so much fishing that, uh, that regular readers were bored with it. So one of the things I had to do when I was revising was I had a lot more technical stuff in there than than was left because only another fly fisherman would, would care about some of the stuff I had in there.
1: I did notice that occasionally throughout the book, um, references to things that you know you, you can tell that the author knows what they're talking about versus an author who had to Google you know what what are some fly fishing terms I should include, um, and I loved those those little tidbits. Um, but I was kind of cognizant of the fact that if I didn't fish, I would be thinking, what the heck is he talking about? But I, yeah. I agree. I think it was just enough that it wouldn't wouldn't bore a non-angler, but it was a treat as an angler to have those little uh, details.
2: No, that's good. Yeah. And I tried to make it pretty consistent with the fact that the, the two male characters in the, in the story are not expert fishermen. They're pretty much like what what I was, which is young guys who love to fish and who know some stuff and are going up there, and we knew enough to try to match a hatch, but we didn't know how to – we, we <laughs> couldn't tell you the difference between various kinds of mayflies or, you know, probably didn't know the word coronamid, you know. Uh, and as, as it turned out, uh, what, the, what the fish at the lakes, they were really fishing uh, a lot. It turned out that the fish were eating uh, – we're eating scuds or a little freshwater shrimp and, in fact, the larvae of them. That So that turned out to be interesting. I've never had that happen before. This only the only lakes that I ever saw that happen. But we actually matched. the. It wasn't a hatch. It was the eggs of these little creatures. So, you know, so that was a cool little adventure.
1: So this might be a good time to um, give a, a summary of the book. I know you don't want to probably give away the ending um, as it is kind of a, kind of a mystery novel. You don't really know where it's going, um, but just so people have kind of a familiarity with um, the, with the story and, and how fishing plays into it. Do you just want to give kind of a, like an elevator pitch for the book?
2: Sure. And I have it. I wrote it down <laughs> because uh, this, this is, this is the like one sentence. They call it a tagline, I think. And this is what I, what, what, is for that. In the fast-paced, sexy, and very scary literary thriller Ursula Lake, a husband and wife trying to save their marriage and a rock musician trying to get his career back on track find big trouble, naturally and po- natural and possibly supernatural, in the spellbinding wilds of British Columbia. That summarizes <laughs> it about as well as I can do it.
1: That does. Now I have to ask, um, the rock star, did, was that inspired by you? Were any of these characters based on you or were these um, characters that were either other people or just completely made up that you just kind of picked and chose some aspects that you were familiar with?
2: Yeah, it's um, it's always easier to write a character that's based on somebody you know, even if the character ends up being miles away from them. So you know so for for one of my characters, I, I use the stuff I know. Yeah. In order to make a character come alive, you've got to have details that seem real. So yeah, the character of Scott Murray is not me, but has a lot of, a lot of things about me because it's easier to write that way and it rings truer. And, uh, you know, the, the, and the character of Errol, who is his friend is much more of a composite, but you know, it, it, uh, yeah, I mean, I I based it on. In that case, I put a lot of different things together. But again, it really helps if there's if there's something solid behind it. If if I, I find at least for me, and I think I've taught enough to know for students too that if you try to build a character out of thin air, it's likely to feel thin. And uh, yeah, so so I just found it. Sure, I know about rock and roll, so. And I know about being a frustrated rock musician, As a, uh, and so I use that. I, I know in a novel that I'm working on now, I know about being a student of psychotherapy. So I've got a character who is in a graduate program learning to be a therapist. doesn't mean he's me, uh, but it, it means that I'm writing about something I know.
1: Yeah, and I feel like while the story was about all three characters, Scott was definitely... The one that whose thoughts you get the most. Um, yeah, you
2: st- it starts with him, so he'd be the, the the you know the uber protagonist, I guess.
1: What maybe you can fill me in on how how at least your writing process works. You know, when you're coming up with the idea for this book, um, it, which is you know equal parts like the the th- the thriller part of it, going on the romance part, the fishing part. Like there's there's many different uh, things going on. But when you were coming up with the idea for it, was there some idea? That, you know, you you say I want to have a book revolving around the wilderness or around fishing or around um this love story like what what did you what was your first idea and then how did you build around that
2: my, my that's a great question my first idea was that i wanted i wanted to set a really interesting story in in, in northern british columbia because it was such a, a compelling place to be, uh, alternate yeah, at the same time beautiful and scary and mysterious and and it seemed to be imbued with a kind of supernatural quality. And okay. so the first the, the 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 first little folder I made, I remember this really well. My my working title was simply Canadian Adventure because I knew I wanted to write something that had to that that really Dealt with the with the the background and the the beauty and the mystery of that setting, and I wanted it to be really interesting and the kind of book that I wanted to read. I try to write stuff that I would want to read, and and I've been told that I get bored easily, and I like <laughs> so so I like I like stuff that's exciting, and and. Uh, that's why I like steelhead. <laughs> I thought I would have a heart attack when that thing when the first one hit. Uh, but uh, anyway, yeah, that's what I wanted to do. And and then so then I came up with a couple of characters, uh, and I and I said, let's put these characters together and see what happens. I mean, I really try to try to just see what would be interesting, what would make sense, what would really move the book forward. And I and I kind of fought my way through it that way.
1: So you didn't know uh, like what the ending was going to be when you started. You didn't have like an outline of everything. You kind of just like let it no. uh, pr- progress as it as it happened along the way.
2: That's pretty much right. Yeah, I mean, I I may have had some inklings of it, but if I have, you know, uh, if if I know too much what exactly is going to happen, I think it takes away some of the the excitement. I mean. Uh, various writers have been credited with saying, "No surprise for the writer, no surprise for the reader," and and so I, it to me, uh, writing is is very much a discovery. I want to I want to find out what happens too, and if it excites me and interests me, then I know I'm on the right track. And if it doesn't, then I know I I know it's not working. I got to do something else.
1: I could very much see that being something where if you if you have it too planned out, it almost would sound clinical, like you're just reporting on what you've already thought up. Versus, you know, what if you were a reader, what would you what would you want to happen next, or what would you be excited mm-hmm. to happen next? Um, and I didn't feel like the whole way through the book, I had no idea where it was going, which I, I enjoy that when I'm reading. I I don't like being able to kind of guess what's about to happen. Um, and I feel oh, like up until the last yeah. page, yeah, I had no idea what was going to happen.
2: Yeah, yeah. Well, really. I the the last the last part of it was a real surprise to me, and and it was a, an exciting surprise because I would be right along and think, oh, this is cool, this is going to happen, I can see it, you know, just maybe like a couple pages ahead, um, and and yeah, and it's gotten revised a lot too. It's not like you just. Not like at least for me anyway it's not like, just like I sit down and write it out and there it is it's, and, and it's how I want it. Um, you know I'll start off with a kind of idea I don't want to make it sound like I just start writing out of nowhere I have an idea okay this might happen this might happen but that's just to get me going generally well well over half of the things I think might happen don't happen as it gets going it's not, it just gets a better, I get a better idea, basically, and and I have to have the freedom to do that, or uh, or it's real boring. It's boring to write and boring to read. I think.
1: Now, were the were the two lakes um, inspired by any particular lakes, or was this kind of um, a place that you dream like dreamt up based on your kind of general experience in BC? Well,
2: str- strangely enough, I we we fished lakes and we didn't know their names. I mean, we just went into the interior. And we would look, I think we must have had a map of some kind. Maybe there was a name, but it's not something that stuck with me. We'd basically go out. Uh, we had a little, a little aluminum boat. We'd go out. We'd, we'd kind of troll around, try some flies, see if we got anything. If, if something was cooking, we'd stay. If, if, if we weren't getting anything, we'd try another one. So the two lakes um, are come from my memory of two lakes that we fished. And, uh, and Ursula Lake uh, was the more remote of the two. And, and I remember very well, this is this is in the book, going up these mountains, roads and thinking, oh, my God, if this if the car breaks down, I don't know how we're getting out of right. here. And uh, at uh, all. Kind, but I mean, you would, we were about 25 and we I don't we don't care. We'll walk out if we have to. <laughs>
1: Yeah, think of a, that. That's a like a future you problem. You don't have to worry about it now. You'll worry about it when it happens.
2: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And when we were we were young and dumb and confident and just thought, hey, we're fishing. We're in Canada. Right. This is, how could that not be cool?
1: <laughs> uh, one thing I noticed and I maybe this is different for every author, but um, and I think it's kind of a my question about art in general is, you know, I'm sure there's artists out there who have a very, very specific They're trying to get across and it's, you know, they're not really wanting their work to be up to the up to the viewer, the reader. And then I'm sure there's other people who really like the idea of it being up to interpretation. Um, Do you feel like in this book, you had a very clear, um, like reason for including a lot of the stuff? Or was a lot of it just fun and kind of open to interpretation of, you know, what it means or, or, you know, what what's the, what's behind it? Um, Like kind of with the supernatural part of, you know, Ursula, like things started to get kind of darker um, as they, Mm -hmm. as they got closer to that destination. And I wasn't sure if that was um, really deliberate or if that was more to be left up to interpretation by the reader.
2: Well, uh, I don't, I don't write stuff that has a, in which I I don't write because I have a moral that I want to impart or because I have anything like that. I, I try to create characters and see what they'll do. And if I, if they're in an interesting enough situation, then then they then they have a chance to really people show what they're made of when they're under duress and when things things are not you know things are are out of the norm and and that interests me. There's a psychologist in me that says, okay, if this were to happen, what would Scott do? What would Errol do? What would Claire do here? What you know? How would all of this? what would happen and 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 i have confidence that it'll be interesting yeah um so so you know and then and because i have them with real backgrounds and because i'm making them as real as i can of course they have they have a lot of issues that are real and they'll talk about these one of the things about fishing as i'm sure you well know is you got a lot of time if you're fishing with somebody you got a lot of time to talk i mean it's not always you know Action. I mean, there's there a lot of a lot of just wishing something would hit, and then then you talk, and uh, all kinds of things come out. So, uh, yeah, I I just but but what I'm always aware of, especially in the in the rewriting process, is is this interesting? Is this is this worth the reader's time? I mean, that's an important thing to me. I I never want. To have a, ra- a reader finish something that I've written, whether it's a novel or a poem, and say, well, that was a waste of time. I mean, that would be that would be terrible. I mean, I'm not saying it's never happened, but it's never happened willingly for me. I'm trying to be interesting. And, uh, and I'm trying to interest myself, too. So, yeah.
1: What was it like writing the psychology of three very different characters who all, you know, you kind of... It is mostly centered around Scott, but you do occasionally get glimpses into what um, Errol and Claire are thinking. Uh, how, what is it like trying to come up with three characters and how they would each, you know, mentally or emotionally respond to like what they're encountering out there?
2: It's really interesting. It's hard too. Uh, it's and 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 I will I will admit that I used my wife's input quite a bit with Claire because because I was much less confident. In writing a woman than I was in writing the two guys. I felt like I could kind of do them in my sleep, but Claire was a lot more challenging. So yeah, I have, you know, I have some insight. I, I've certainly, you know, I, I'm not without insight, but I thought, no, no there's nothing. I got to have an expert here. I got to have somebody who is a woman <laughs> to tell me, oh, she'd never do that, or she should say this or blah, blah, blah. So so that was, so I would say I did some research on that one, you know, uh, for better and worse. That's, you know, I'll say the old thing that if if I blew it, it's my fault. If it's really good, kudos to my wife. <laughs> there you go. <laughs>
1: um, one of the things that I uh, really enjoyed that's kind of a mix of psychology and fishing that um, was just a like a very, it felt like a minor detail, but it actually did. Uh, I think really shaped the um, way the story went. And it's something that I'm not sure if it would be picked up by non-anglers, but the interaction between Scott and Errol when they're fishing and Errol is not having luck and Scott is, um, that was something that I immediately resonated with and I think might seem unreasonable to somebody who doesn't fish. Uh, the fact that Scott you know, is catching fish and it's making Errol so unreasonably angry because he can't catch one, but that's something that I feel like we've all had happened to us where, you know, you, you love your friend, but your friend is catching way more fish than you are. And you just want to break your rod over your knee because there's just (laughs) something, something about that, that you don't want them to not catch fish. You just want to be catching fish too. And without that balance, it, you know, it makes you do and say things that you don't feel like a a normal person would say. Um, and I feel like looking at it as a non-angler, I would say arrow was being so unreasonable, but I instead totally related to it. Um, and I thought that was a really nice detail that, that might, again, only be understood by someone who's been in that position before.
2: Well, no, that you've said it, you've said it perfectly. And yeah, uh, it's, it's made even worse because Errol actually taught Scott how to fly fish. So it's like, he's getting, he's getting smoked in all kinds of ways. And yeah, it, it, uh, yeah, you know, so you said it. I won't bother to reset it. You said it exactly right. <laughs> well,
1: was there was there I mean, I'm sure you've experienced it just like we all have, but was there a specific like instance that inspired that or was that something that you said, you know, I really want to incorporate this because it's it's such a unique um relationship between friends who fish together that, you know, you can only really experience in in that way. Do you do you go out of your way to include that?
2: Well, if if you mean by that, have I ever been the one who wasn't catching enough fish? <laughs> the answer is yes. <laughs> and 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 have has have others ever been in that position? Yes. And I've seen I've seen some people really react badly. Um, uh, you know, there there are fish counters and there aren't. And the, the real fish counter can be difficult to fish with because it's never good enough. But I mean, in this case the the the, ba- the balance you don't have to count them to realize oh somebody's getting a lot more than the other person and yeah it 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 as you said it drives you nuts you don't know what you you don't know why that's just happening yeah uh, so so yeah I've I've had that experience and since as a writer I'm looking for areas of conflict because drama only happens when there's conflict uh you know if you if if the two guys just go to the lake and everything works great. There's not a story. I mean, you can just say, man, did I have a great fishing adventure. And here's some pictures. And then that's kind of the end of it. Right. But so so that couldn't happen. And, and that just seemed like a natural area of conflict. And uh, and it seemed to me, you know, when I got the idea, oh, yeah, and Errol should have taught Scott this. So it makes it even worse. He's, and he doesn't know what's wrong. That's what will drive you crazy.
1: It was refreshing to read it because I feel like a lot of um, fly fishing writing, and this isn't a knock on that. I enjoy many types of fly fishing writing, but a lot of it is um, more looking at the fishing itself in kind of a poetic way or a spiritual way or um, something like that, and or or the you know everything is going wrong but we can laugh about it um, type conflict. And this was maybe the first book I've read where the conflict was between characters about fishing. That was kind of a new. Um, Area of conflict that just it's not it's not something I often see in fishing. So that was kind of fun to have a new um, take on it. Uh, especially like I said, as someone who's been in that position, um, it's almost more humanizing in a way. And it, it also was yeah. nice to be like, okay, it's not just me. <laughs>
2: <laughs> oh oh, oh no. <laughs> no, 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 no! Uh, uh, you know, and and it's rendered even worse and and this really gets to Errol and boy did I resonate with this when you don't get to go out that much and you're one and and this one trip that you've spent you've had put so much hopes into and in a way you are trying to make up for a bad year and then it's it's not going right and, and it's going great for somebody else I mean it's hard not to be bitter
1: I think that's another kind of uh, like universally understood thing where you know you have a trip planned and you've got it built up in your mind and then it never goes the way you expect. I mean uh, with fishing as, as well as many other things, you know, by the time it actually happens only about half of what you plan actually goes to plan. The rest is all making it up as you go. Then it's easy to get that, you know, get down because of it uh, because it feels like, you know, things aren't happening the way they're supposed to when really, you know, just because you plan for something doesn't guarantee anything. But um, that was another thing uh, I noticed about the book was that, Um, kind of like wishful, but it's not going as you planned, or like you heard this big fish there, and then you get there, and it's not, and you just feel so dejected. Uh, And, you know, then they're trying to decide whether they move locations or stay there. And uh, once again, it was just a a situation I feel like we've all been in. Um, It was nice to relate to other people having that same experience.
2: Yeah, good. Well, you're the perfect audience, clearly, because you just get it. (laughs) I mean, it's really fun to hear you talk about it, because that's that's exactly what is going on, and it and, and I tried to make it real. I mean, this is like the real thing. This is what happens. This is what you know. Not that what, not that everything in the book happened, but that that the the motivations are real. And yeah, I'm really glad that you said that about uh, about not having seen the uh, that particular conflict about catching fish and not catching fish before, because I hadn't either, and I thought that was interesting.
1: Were you writing this with uh, a fishing audience in mind? Was that kind of your primary goal, or um, no. were you hoping for a general audience to to love it?
2: I, I was hoping for a general audience because, because frankly, there's not. I I don't know how many how many a uh, fishing audience, how big a fishing audience there would be. But so I, tr- I tr- what I tried to do was make sure that the fishing was w- would be of interest to somebody that that wasn't fishing, but yeah, I mean, ideally, somebody that knew how to fish would would really really get it all as you are demonstrating.
1: You said you have another book in the works. is it is it at all on the same subject?
2: Well, it doesn't have it doesn't have it it's not as much based on fishing, but again, it does have it does have several scenes in the in the woods and some in the mountains, different mountains, much less wild mountains in the the mountains around LA which can get kind of wild, but they're certainly not British Columbia. And there's a, there's a couple of fishing scenes, smaller fish, uh, because the character, again, the character in there likes to fish. It's, uh, but yeah, it's not nearly uh, as central. Okay. But again, if, if you know something, you might as well use it.
1: <laughs> right, the character can still have a hobby, even if it's not the main topic of the book.
2: Yeah, yeah. And and, and there, there's golden trout in the mountains, and so he's, he's hoping he'll get a little golden trout. <laughs>
1: You mentioned the, uh, the you, this one takes place also in um, a mountainous area, though not as wild. And I saw in the um, document you, you filled out that you wanted to talk about kind of the psychology and the wilderness aspect of Ursula Lake like, oh. and, and how that wilderness kind of played into um, the characters and how the story played out. Uh, it sounds like wilderness might be kind of a, a running theme, even if it's in different forms. Um, is that is that true? Or do you put yeah, effort no, into doing that? Yeah, no, that's
2: very true. That's very true. Uh, I, the thing that was, that's interesting about wilderness is that the normal constraints of behavior tend to fall off, and, and, and people are revealed more in their real self, and I find that very interesting, uh, and I find it very dramatic, because uh, they're not, you know, the. I mean, Carl Jung talked about the persona, which was just a mask you put up the masks tend to fall away and, and you've got a lot more just, you know, the, the primal person. And I find that really interesting. Um, you know, I, uh, yeah, I mean, like, like when I was a kid, Lord of the Flies was a book that really, really intrigued me, uh. I can't believe they actually let us read that in in school, but yeah, I mean, I just thought, yeah, wow, what happens when there's no rules? And and when I was when I was in British Columbia those couple of times, way up there, there's nobody around. It, it struck me again and again that that there's nobody really to 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 enforce society's rules, and also if something goes wrong, there's nobody to help you. And and that just that just seemed like a really really interesting situation. So yeah, the book kind of grows it, it it grew out of that sense that that anything can happen in the woods, and and it's it's uh, and, and the supernatural element seemed almost inevitable because it feels so weird sometimes. At least it did to me to. Uh, you know, get up and in the morning and there's mist all over the place and you're, and there's nobody else around for miles except your one friend. And, and you, and you, you think about like, who's been here before and, and, and what might be lurking in there. And I mean, it's just, it's, it's very uncanny. Uh, so, so that was, that's the heart of the, of the feeling of the book that I wanted to have just that sense of, of awe and mystery and beauty and fear and uncanniness that, um, that is all part of it. Uh, it's, uh, it's really, you know, to me, it's, it's, it's really a transcendent experience.
1: I think you can see that in the, in the way the characters progress, you know, from day one where they're still kind of like niceties and uh, I don't know, they're, they're- kind of making small talk and being polite. And then by the end of it, it's it's much more down to speaking your mind. And, you know, the, the, I feel like I've seen that transition. Um, like you said, it kind of feels lawless uh, when you get out there. And, it, you know, at first you're kind of transitioning away from your day-to-day life. And by the end of it, you've kind of um, entered a new a new way of being where things are said directly. And there's no, there's no like, I don't want to say manners, because um, it's not like you're necessarily being rude, but just the, the filters are gone and the the taboo subjects that you might not uh talk about around you know polite company uh in civilization that that kind of just like fades away um Mm -hmm. and you're you're stuck in the you're stuck in the backcountry with these people that you know they are your lifeline like you said there's no there's no like call to safety um and it kind of forms a different kind of relationship i think um with people who have spent any significant time um away with each other
2: yeah no i think it's true one of the things and i and i hasten to add here that the friend that I went fishing with is not Errol, and is not didn't look like Errol, didn't act like Errol. But I did have a friend that I went fishing with, and and I remember the first time we came back, uh, we went to a to a tavern in the in the university district in Seattle. It was called the District, and both of us felt this way. I mean, neither one of us was like a troublemaker or somebody that looked for. Anything like that, we, t- we tend to be, you know, intelligent, polite, decent people. But we went into there, and all of a sudden, both of us remarked that we felt like that all the guys in there were wimps, and that we didn't like them. And and there was this sense of aggression toward them that that was really remarkable. I never, f- and and it happened to both him and me. And I uh, wouldn't, we didn't start a fight or anything, but we had this sense that. We just came, we're mountain men, and you guys are wimps, and we've just been out surviving on nothing but bread and fish and tang, and you're just these idiots, <laughs> you know? <laughs> I mean, you know, it went away pretty quickly, you know, by the next day, you know, went back to my girlfriend, everything was kind of the same, but but uh, yeah, there was that feeling, and, and, and we really had that feeling in the woods.
1: I've never heard someone express that before, but I feel like I can identify with that. Not, I wouldn't, I wouldn't use the word aggression um, for my own personal experience, but I have felt that um, where you where you walk into a place and you think you people have no idea, like mm-hmm. you've just been sitting here enjoying your you know fancy drink and uh, you know you're gonna get in your nice comfortable car and drive home and you have no idea what we've been dealing with for the past week. Um, and it it is almost like an animosity for no fault of their own, but. Um, you feel you feel like you have been um, dealing with a lot more stuff than they have, and yeah, there is a sort that's of
2: exactly right, yeah, like
1: bitterness about
2: it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know uh, that that I've never heard anybody else admit to that feeling, but there it is. That's exactly right. You just feel different. You feel changed, and 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 for for a while, it seems like these people are kind of kind of a, a naive and and inferior breed, <laughs> like. And uh, you know, said uh, then it goes away. You're you're back in the usual stuff, and you're doing the same crap they're doing. <laughs> right, and, right. And you're one of them again. But it, but for that little bit of time, you weren't.
1: <laughs> and it's funny because uh, it's all voluntary. You know, you you chose yeah, to go do it, yeah. and, and you had a good time. Um, yeah, exactly. But yeah, I know exactly what you mean, and uh, it it is weird to to vocalize. I've never really thought about it before, but I can definitely identify with that feeling. Um, so it is interesting to hear someone bring that up. Um, how does how does fishing like? Do you do you incorporate your fishing with your writing? Not necessarily writing about fishing, but you know, do you do you go out in the water with uh, the plan to you know mull things over in your head? Is there any sort of like therapeutic aspect of fishing that lets you um, come up with with writing thoughts, uh, or do they do they occupy mm-hmm. different different parts of your life? Re-
2: yeah, really. The, the answer to that one is no, I don't. One of the things I love about fishing is that it's completely involving to me uh, it, you know, because I tend to have a hyperactive mind and I'm always thinking about stuff and I can overthink things. And, and when I'm, when I'm fishing, somehow I'm able to focus my attention on what I'm doing. And no, I don't think about any of that other stuff. I may think about it afterwards, you know, like I may think about it, at night generally i'm too tired to do much of that but i'm and i will certainly think about it after the fact but no i i like to yeah for whatever reason when i'm fishing i'm thinking about fishing you know and i can i can just focus like a laser on this one thing i mean you know i've got a there's a rise i've got a cast to it i've got to watch the fly i've got to you know i'm on that thing and it's not it's it, I'm not I'm not interrupted by thinking oh God I got this bill to pay and that's why I go right. so I don't have to think <laughs> about that stuff.
1: Yeah, you might be the the right person to ask as a psychologist, but um, you know I, you, I hear that a lot as the reason people like fishing because it lets them focus on, on something holy that is not whatever other stresses they have going on in their life. Um, whereas other mm-hmm. things, even if they're maybe doing a hobby, they're still thinking about their stresses, but the fly fishing keeps them so engaged that they don't have time to think about that. Do you like, do you hear that, you know, in more of a psychology world um, that people have used fishing to kind of escape from their normal life?
2: Frankly, since I've, since I've done all of my psychology work in LA and there aren't that many, relatively speaking, there aren't that many fisher people. I don't think I ever had anybody talk about fishing. Uh, I tended to work with creative artists and, Uh, stuff like that. So no, I don't think of anybody, I don't think anybody, I don't think any client of mine ever talked about fishing. I might be wrong, but so I don't know what they thought about it, but I know uh, the guy I just went on this cool trip with, uh, he's a, he's a, a medical doctor and he doesn't think about medicine out there. One time, one time he had to because what the the first day I met this guy on the Bighorn River, he and I ended up rooming together just by luck of the draw. The first time that I met him, uh, the wind I was we were fishing on a boat together. Uh, again, by luck of the draw, the wind came up while I was casting, wrapped a fly around me and caught me in the face. <laughs> and so it was, luckily it was a barbless hook and it was a small hook, probably a number eighteen, uh, but. Anyway, this guy that I didn't know took the hook out of my face. And that's when I realized he, he was a medical doctor. So that's the only time. <laughs> but normally, you know, we go to get away from that.
1: Uh-huh. Well, it's good he can conjure up that knowledge, you know, when, it, when it's necessary.
2: <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah.
1: <laughs> so what what is your fishing like these days? Um, you know, being in a place that's not as fishing heavy as maybe some of the other areas in the country, and particularly coming from the Pacific Northwest where, you know, that's a big thing.
2: Yeah, I know. It was a lot better up there uh, in that way. But, um, well, uh, the, the pandemic really put a cramp in, in stuff. I was, I was going pretty regularly to Montana to fish. Um, and, uh, but I just got back from a trip to the Yukon. Oh, wow. So that's even, that's even further North than, than Northern British Columbia. And uh, and that I, I went with I went with my my friend the the doctor just in case I had this would probably be a two aught hook in my face which would be <laughs> a different thing, but uh, anyway yeah we we went up there and we fished it was great, uh, but I was scared about the. Um, all of the exposure in the, in the airports. And, and I didn't enjoy having a mask on the whole time in Canada, you have to have a mask on the whole time you're in the airport and on the planes, which was probably a good idea, but it's not the most pleasant thing in the world. But uh, yeah, so we, uh, so i managed to get, but well, he and I had planned this trip almost three years ago and we got canceled twice because Canada wouldn't let Americans in. Oh, okay. So we were, we were supposed to go in 2020, no. 2021, no. 2022, orders were open. Boom. We we were up there.
1: And how was it? What what were you fishing for?
2: Well, we were fishing. Uh, I wanted to catch some stuff I hadn't caught. So we we caught some we caught some nice rainbow trout, but I've caught a lot of those. But what we caught that I hadn't ever caught was Arctic grayling, which. Uh, I've seen pictures of them, but I've never seen one. and when you open up that that big back fin, I don't know. can you conjure up what a grayling looks like or have you caught one?
1: Yeah, I have caught some. Um, we have a, a place in Colorado that I can catch them um, but they're not very big. Uh, they're not they're not large. They, I think they max out there or they have for me maxed out around 14 or 15 inches. Um, so I haven't seen like a big one.
2: Well, I didn't catch any huge ones, but I'd never seen one in the flesh. And, and so we got those, but then we also got what I was really eager to catch, which also I'd never seen in the flesh was Northern Pike. That was, that was real interesting, uh, because we, we were doing it on fly rods, but the, the lures, and they, I mean, you call them a fly, but they're like this big. Uh, and i say it's probably a, probably a two odd hook on the thing. Uh, luckily they're all, they're all barbless single hook. So you can release the fish but that was, that was quite a trip because I mean, I've, I've definitely caught fish that pulled harder, but as far as the strike goes that I never, that was really something. Have you ever fought fish for pike? Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. You see yeah, where I lived, there just weren't any, but I mean, we just, they told us, you know, get, throw the fly out there and strip in as fast as you can. And, uh, and, you know, we're, we're fishing in weed beds. I'm sure you know that. That's where they like to hang out. And just all of a sudden, there'd be a flash and boom, the thing takes it. I mean, I you know, I, I got a fish that was over a meter long. They, they do everything in, in metric up there. So it was like a yard plus. I mean, it's a big, I caught quite a few of them, in fact. But But the strike is the most exciting part. I mean, it just, you know, talk about an ambush predator. And then the other thing that I caught that I had never caught before was lake trout. And we, we caught, we went out onto a, a lake that was very deep. And that was the only time we fished conventional gear because you had to go so deep. So, so I got a very big lake trout. They didn't weigh it. And again, they're, they're very con- very uh, conservation conscious. So, So the thing is out. If it's worth it, you take a picture and get it right back Mm -hmm. in the
1: water. Well, that's probably why they have such big fish.
2: Yeah. Well, that certainly helps. But then I also did some fly fishing for smaller lake trout. And by smaller, I mean the biggest one I caught was probably four pounds. But that's a big fish. (laughs) To me, in Montana, a four-pound trout is a very big fish. Right. (laughs) So that, so that was something else. Um, so basically I had a great time and, and, and neither my friend nor I got, you know, was the wretch. We call it the wretch when you don't get the fish. So we both, we both had a good time. We both caught a lot of fish, new fish to us. And, uh, I mean, I've been, I've been seeing pictures of, of, um, northern pike since i was a little boy in houston i'd get sports a field field a stream and i want to catch one of them but they're way up north and east so yeah so this was something
1: (laughs) did you go with a guide or did you guys figure it out as you went
2: oh we we definitely went with guides okay you know uh, you know that's that's really really raw country up there
1: Did you like fly in yeah okay
2: yeah uh and and you you know we did some walking through some some uh, woods that you know there the the guide kept showing me you know like this some of this is in my book but he but the ba- the bears in my book are black bears which are not supposed to be as aggressive the gri- bears here were grizzlies and he's showing me all these claw marks on the trees <laughs> where the grizzlies are and we're walking through a trail that that you know that you're squeezing through and it's like you're in the middle of bear country. And I'm just thinking, you know, don't, uh, don't show up now, brown bear. I don't want to see you. <laughs> and, and our, and our guide, our guide was uh, for that was from Czechoslovakia. And so he's yelling out hoop, 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 to scare the bear. And then he's yelling that stuff in Czech, which, which probably scared him to death. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, that sounds like a ton of fun. Do you know what other uh, species are up there? Um, are, are there Arctic char up there?
2: I don't they're, they're not where they weren't available to us I don't know whether because they're they're not that far west or because they're even further north than we were okay I don't know Have you caught Arctic char No
1: I haven't it's it's high on my list because they seem to be some of the prettiest fish um, when I see oh, the beautiful. pictures of them
2: and they, and they're they're really good to eat I e- I had I had an Arctic char in a restaurant in New York. So I, I I won this award uh. and I got flown to New York <laughs>
1: of all the places and, uh, and
2: yeah of all places. So I've had Arctic char twice and it's really really delicious and they are unbelievably beautiful. And if I if there had been a choice a chance to get them, I would have been after them. But no, that was not offered.
1: Okay, yeah, I'm always so. like keeping track of where they are because I I'd like to plan a trip at some point with the um, like primary goal of catching like a really nice beautiful Arctic char um, so I'm like always making a mental list of like places that, that could be on the list for that
2: yeah yeah well I I, I don't know uh, but I know they're real far north <laughs> that's but yeah yeah uh, that that would be a worthy goal
1: you know grayling um, I also found very tasty uh, we we've
2: I've heard they're good, yeah,
1: I, I didn't expect it. I don't know why, but based on the way they look, um you know, take off the dorsal fin and the iridescence, and you know, they don't their body type isn't terribly different from something like a sucker., uh, so I don't know if maybe that's that is what was uh you know, tainting my expectation, but um, I was really surprised at how tasty they were,
2: yeah, that's I heard the same thing they're they're supposed to be a kind of white fish and and the whitefish that I know of, we, we would catch in, in rivers in Montana, and also I catch some whitefish in the rivers in uh, in the Pacific Northwest. But we always let them go because we were disappointed, because it wasn't a trout or it wasn't a steelhead. Uh, but I've heard those are supposed to be tasty, too. I just haven't eaten them.
1: We actually kept our first whitefish this past um, like late fall, winter, and we had heard that they were not not super great like people would make things out of them that kind of hide hide the fish uh you know like Mm, put them in a dip mm. or something like that um Uh and uh we just fried them and they were they were totally fine like i couldn't tell the difference and maybe i would have had i baked it or something um where the fish is Mm. really really highlighted but um in the fryer you know i couldn't tell the difference between that and any type of trout i've had uh i don't i don't know if that's just a um like a mislabeling of them as a trash fish because they're not as pretty (laughs)
2: I don't know either. But but what I have heard is that they're a great sign of the, uh, the health of a river system, that if there's whitefish in the river, that that's a good thing.
1: Well, that's good. I love catching whitefish. Um, they're one of my favorite things to catch because they fight so hard.
2: <laughs> yeah, they really do.
1: The number of times I've been like, oh, I've got like an 18-inch brown on and then it's like a 12-inch whitefish. <laughs>
2: <laughs> that, yeah, that, yeah, that, I've had that experience too, and the guides are so disappointed. <laughs> that, I don't know, and I'm thinking, well, this isn't a bad fish. This thing, you're right. If, if this thing fights really hard, yeah,
1: yeah, I think uh, it's just their looks. You know, they don't, they don't look as nice as a trout, but at the end of the day, I'm, right. I'm just looking for a good time. I don't, I don't really care what's yeah, on the end of my yeah. line.
2: <laughs> yeah, I, I like them to pull hard, <laughs> and if they jump, that's great. So whitefish don't tend to jump, but browns don't jump that much either. Now
1: rainbows, I feel like, are the jumping trout.
2: They are, they are, and yeah, and that fella who was on your show, uh, he was really right about the fighting qualities up there. I was interested that that they were bred uh, sterile. Oh, the that whole, that whole thing. Yeah, yeah, that whole thing was it was real interesting to me because there's no question that those fish up there fought really hard. The only the only uh, rainbows that I've had that felt that fought as hard as the ones up in in British Columbia were once in uh, a lake in eastern Washington that the University of Washington uh, monitored. And they were, they, they're they big into fisheries, and they were always trying different strains. And, and that this particular lake was, was really great.
1: I've thought about getting somebody on to talk about triploids, because it's something I'm uh, familiar with, but I don't know a ton. I don't know if I've ever fished for them. Um, but they seem to be Kind of a, a hot topic these days. Like I feel like I've been seeing more and more stuff about triploids and controversy. You know, some people really love them. Some people think that they're kind of a threat to to good genetics. So um, I'm thinking about trying to find someone who knows a little bit more about them and, and kind of do a deep dive. Because uh, I was also interested in that that process and the, the desire to have those sterile fish in the water system or in the in the watershed. Well, Charles, what's uh, what's next for you? I know you have a new novel coming out. Um, do you still write poetry too?
2: Yeah, I do. Um, I, I I'm. Uh, I've got a novel that I'm finishing, and I've got a, a book of poems that I that I have finished, and I'm going to be going to be submitting the 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 press that I that I was publishing with for quite a while, University of Pittsburgh Press. They they underwent a huge change because their editor of forty years retired, and so I'm not sure. You know, a, a lot of times new editors come in and they change everything up. So I don't know what my future there is. So I may be back in the market looking for a publisher. But uh, I've definitely got some books that are that are getting towards where I'm going to be sending them out and hoping that I, you know, that I'll uh, land something. I, I, I'm hoping maybe uh, maybe Red Hen will publish the next one. I'm not sure. But at any rate, the work is
0: there.
1: And is Ursula Lake out yet or is it uh, yet to be released? It, it is it out. is okay. yeah. and where can people um, find that and the rest of your books? Is there a preferred place besides like the big the big box websites?
2: Well, yeah um, it's very easy to go on my website and they have they they have there's a, a access to independent publishers there. There's also, yeah, there's Barnes and Noble, there's Amazon. Uh, but but if you want to go on my website, the one thing you have to remember is it, it's my I write as Charles Harper Webb, and the reason for that is because Charles Webb wrote the Graduate, and that when I was first starting that caused some some confusion. Got it. So it's C H A R L E S H A R P E R W E B B one word dot com, and and they they can easily find stuff there, or they can go to you know where um, and. And there's there's a lot of places that that ha, that offer it for sale. I noticed when I went on on Google, it's all over the place. So yeah, it should be findable.
1: And I have to ask: Is any of your um, old rock and roll music available?
2: No, I have some old tapes, but mostly I was a, a professional, meaning I made my living at it. So I did an awful lot of work in in clubs that didn't get. Uh, didn't get recorded or anything and so yeah I wish I wish if it, if I were doing it now when it with the ease of recording everything it'd be a whole different scene but no I worked for about you know a little over 10 years just playing making my living playing rock and roll
1: I have one one final question uh, not to put you on the spot but do you have any poems that you've written that you can think of that would be particularly of interest to a uh, to a fly fisherman like any that really focus on fishing that would be I, good?
2: I do. There's one that's that's it's very surreal and and it's it's called something like I love fly fishing so much or something like that. I can find <laughs> it and send it to you That'd if you great. want me to. Yeah. 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 I know which book it's in, but I'd I'd have to dig it up. But no, I I can do that. I'll do that once we're done. I will find that poem and send it to you.
1: Absolutely, I would love a I would love a copy of it to to read through. Um, well, this has been a ton of fun. Um, like I said, I I really loved your book. Uh, I liked I liked the details of the fishing. I also just liked the story. But I feel like a thriller, you know, the like kind of a, a murder mystery thriller is right up my alley. So um, would highly recommend people checking out your book and um, whatever else you have coming down the pipe too.
2: Okay, well, thanks. Yeah, this this has been m- the most fun interview I've done because we get to talk about fishing <laughs> <Right>. so much.
1: <laughs> well, I had a great so, time. So anyway, th- th- thank,
2: th- you. thank you, Katie. This was really cool.
1: All right, guys, thanks for listening. Uh, don't forget to head over to the website, fishuntamed.com, for all episodes and show notes. And also, please subscribe on your favorite podcasting app. That'll get my episodes delivered straight to your phone. And also, if you have not yet, please consider going over to Apple Podcasts and leaving a rating or review. That's very helpful for me, and I'd greatly appreciate it. Um, Other than that, thank you guys again for listening, and I will be back in two weeks. Bye, everybody.